I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Um, Heart of the Matter can be seen at www.hotm.tv, streaming video anywhere in the world. So if you have family or friends who can't watch on television, have them go to that website. Every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m., AM 820, The Truth replays uh, Heart of the Matter, so check that out. Now last week I mentioned a new docudrama that is out. It's an excellent docudrama uh, about Joseph Smith's quest for the White House and, and today's the LDS quest for the White House. It's called A Mormon President. Take a look. For a Mormon President. I would love to see Mitt Romney go to the White House. Yes, I think America's ready for a Mormon president. No way a Mormon's going to get in the White House. The odds of him being elected president are zero. What happened when the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith ran for president? If America knew the power seeking that was in Joseph that continues to be in the LDS church today, they would be very frightened to have a Mormon president. Was there a political conspiracy to murder Joseph Smith? Is anti-Mormon prejudice still alive and well in America today? I've gotten several comments of like, you're a Mormon and you're in a cult. Their doctrine does not reflect Christian teaching as we understand it. It makes me crazy if somebody ever accuses me of not being Christian. And the name of the church says it all right there. Why are Americans in such disagreement about the Mormon church? They would love to take over the world, and I think they believe that they will someday do it. There's a lot of rumors out there, and most of them without basis. Every single thing connected to Mormonism is a byproduct of the embodiment of Joseph Smith. He had been dragged from his home in an effort to kill him, and a Protestant minister was a member of that mob. Today, Protestant leaders reject Joseph Smith as a false prophet. You can't understand the challenge facing Mitt Romney until you know the untold story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Explore the controversy surrounding Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Prophet of God, polygamist, politician, who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith is a puzzle. Larger than life. I would say Christ-like. It would have to be charlatan. He was a mighty prophet. A mighty prophet of God. Join the debate, the drama. Make your decision. Is America ready for a Mormon president?
All right, so listen, you can get a hold of this uh, DVD. Uh, we will send it to you for any uh, donation of $25 or more to Aletheia uh, Ministries. Uh, you can get it through uh, the internet, www.hotm.tv. Uh, when you go to make that donation, make sure that you note it's for the DVD. We only have a, we have a limited supply of 100 in our possession, and uh, we're making that available. Or you can send it to us through the mail, and make sure if you send it to the, this address, uh, you note this is for the DVD. Okay, so it's well worth it, and it's a, a great thing to uh, show to your churches or to your Bible study group, whatever it might be. All right, last week I mentioned that there were a number of people, including a local um, reverend, who believed I owed an 82-year-old caller an apology for being too harsh and abrupt. I find the fact all of them believe that his age played a factor in how I was too strong with him. Of course, if a 20-year-old called in, I could be as rough as I want with them, but because he's 82 and standing on the verge of possibly going to hell, I'm not saying he was or is, you know, 82 means no, hands off, you let him go, but younger uh, is okay. Uh, I addressed our methods last week and the reasons why we approach people, no matter what their age, uh, this way. With respect to this, we received a number of emails. Let's show you two. First one is from Megan, who has come to see the light after her husband began to exam, uh, examine the facts. This is what she says. Watching episodes in which callers call you and criticize your methods of bringing truth to Mormon people frustrates me. I love your method. The truth is harsh and it's hard to hear, but I have had enough of nice-nice and patronizing words all my life. Straight shooting is love, she says. My relationship with my family and friends are altered now, and it can be disheartening at times. I have re-watched a few episodes because it's so easy to slide back to what I've been taught in my 30 years. Unlike my husband, I have not had a reason or a want to run away from the LDS church. The only way I could leave is if I knew a better way to have a closeness with Jesus, and now I do. It all started with an episode on love here on Heart of the Matter. And from Shelly, she writes, Sean, I think you handled the 82-year-old caller a couple weeks ago perfectly. You are right on in your tough love approach to these utterly deceived people. You cannot break through to these people with kindness, political correctness, and certainly not reasoning or logic. I am a sister in Christ. I've been a committed, devout Christian for 11 years. I am also a descendant of Utah pioneers. Both maternal and paternal sides of my family came here with Brigham Young. My great-grandfathers were polygamists. Joseph Smith has led many generations of my family uh, astray, and I certainly don't feel like trying to reach the ones who are left with niceness. I've tried. It does not work. It doesn't work, usually. I just wanted to encourage you. I think people who call and write and criticize your tough approach do not fully understand Mormonism and what it does to people. They also don't recognize Mormon methods of operation. Keep up the good work, brother. Praise God for the ministry. The other night, my one-year-old grandson came into the room that I was in and uh, to say goodnight to me, and there is a fan in that room that doesn't have a cover on it, just the blade spinning away. And uh, he's a very sweet-natured boy, a toddler, and within seconds, he was headed toward that fan, hands outreached, outstretched. Uh, the situation dictated that I grab him quickly and in doing so, I both frightened him and hurt his tender feelings. 
He immediately ran, uh, crying to his mother who was standing there, and uh, he was upset with Mor Morfar Bjorn. That's me, uh, Grandfather Bear. That's what I'm known by to him, Morfar Bjorn. And uh, now, if I wanted to make sure that my grandson loved me and, and that he would never get upset with me, I would have let him run right into that fan and chop his hands up. Uh, also that he wouldn't be frightened by me or offended by me and he would just be left cut up to pieces. The point is in this day and age it's almost like being loved is more important than anything else. Uh, but I love that kid too much to just sit there and we at Aletheia Ministries love the LDS people too much to sit back and use speech with them that does not reach through. Uh, and so that's why we do what we do. Our ability to survive is directly related to your support. Uh, if and when possible, please take a look. Welcome back. Um, now, listen, here's the rules. First of all, you have to be in a position to give if you want to support us. That means if you're an old person, old man, old woman, 82-year-old man, old woman, don't send us your, your, uh, the, the money you're using to live off. We do not want people to send us $15 who get $150 uh, a month to live off. We don't want that, 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 we want people who are in a position to support us who have been led by the Holy Spirit to do so. That's the double, that's the agreement, okay? Now, some of you are in a position, see if God so inclines you. But the old people out there, I know who you are, uh, what's her name? Beth. Beth, if you're watching, stop sending, I want to tell you something that's true. We've gone and visited Beth. Beth lives in a room about the size of this desk. 
And we and Derek takes me by to see her, and she sends us money. Don't do it. We love you. We appreciate your prayers. Your prayers are going to reach the Lord quicker than mine. Send those up, baby. Send them up. But the funds, use them. We will get by, believe me. And the Lord provides. All right? So those are the rules. Uh, no old people on fixed income, really. Okay. How about a moment from the Word? week we spoke about Jesus being on the cross. We've been working our way through Matthew. He's about to die in the text. And we talked about him, how the Book of Mormon states that there would be darkness upon the land for three full days, where the Bible only talks about three hours. A few verses later, tonight, we read in Matthew 27, 50-51, quote, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, end quote. This is a very important passage <clears throat> relative to the Mormon Christian uh, debate. Let me tell you why. A great many LDS people believe uh, that what they do in their temples is actually reflective of the same things the children of Israel did in their singular temple on Mount Moriah. Uh, this is a comical idea. The purpose of the biblical temple was to teach atonement um, of sin as a precondition for authentic worship of the true and living God. Genesis 9 tells us that in the blood, quote, in the blood is life. And it was only in the shedding of blood, for them it was the shedding of blood of animals, that the children of Israel could have their sins covered or atoned uh, until the coming of the only true Messiah who actually could pay for sin with his innocent blood. The altar was in front of the entrance to this temple of the Jews, uh, symbolic that no one enters heaven without the sacrifice. It emphasized that God's love and acceptance can only be extended to sinners who have had their transgressions borne uh, away by the shedding of blood. Solomon expressed the singular purpose of the temple in 2 Chronicles 2.6 when he said, Who am I then that I should build him a house save only to burn sacrifice before him? There was the purpose of the temple, only to burn sacrifice before him. By contrast, Mormon temples exist as places to perform unusual and totally non-biblical rituals such as Masonic-driven endowments, eternal marriages, family sealings, and baptisms for the dead which had absolutely no place in the temple of ancient Israel. Mormons are taught also secret handshakes in those temples and are given secret names that are said to be necessary for them to whisper in the ear of somebody when they go to heaven. That way they would be uh, allowed in. They are also put under oath. Any Mormon who goes into the temple is put under oath to swear they will give their total, total allegiance to the building up of the Mormon church. This includes any Mormon running for president. Part of masonry? Absolutely. Part of the temple rituals of the children of Israel? Not in the least. 
According to the LDS Church itself, it is, quote, through their temple rituals that men and women can progress to become gods and goddesses, not part of the ancient temple of the Jews. And where the Jews had and have only one temple location there on Mount Moriah, typifying their faith in the one and only true and living God, Mormons have hundreds of temples, again, just like the Masons, and possibly signifying their belief in a multiplicity of gods, or polytheism. Often Mormons will read in the Bible about the laver in the temple on Mount Moriah, and they often liken it to these baptismal fonts that they have in their temples with 12 oxen underneath holding them up. But the Old Testament laver was located just outside of Solomon's temple, 2 Chronicles 4, 2, and 15, and was used by the priests to wash themselves after offering animal sacrifices and in preparation for their ministry in the sanctuary that was never ever used for baptisms for the deceased. Mormons use their temples to actually perform rituals that are counter to what God says in his word. Uh, like the eternal marriage sealings they perform. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7-2 that marriage is for this life only, stating, quote, for the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband only so long as he liveth. Likewise, Jesus himself taught us that people, quote, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels in heaven. That's Matthew 22. Quite frankly, Mormonism breaks all sorts of biblical rules relative to their temple compared to the Jews. Here's some more. Only priests were allowed to enter the biblical temple. Worshippers, even the king of Israel, came no further than the altar of burnt offerings in the courtyard. But to the LDS, anybody with a temple recommend gets to go in. Secondly, all the activities in the biblical temple were open to knowledge. You can find them, you can read what they did in them in Exodus 30, Leviticus 4, 16, 24. But the Mormons keep everything they do in there supposedly secret. They say sacred. But, but to God, what they did in the temple was open and right there in the Bible. In sharp contrast to these facts, uh, the uh, Mormon temple has always been a, uh, a, a thing of secrecy sworn to by oath. And up until before I left the Mormon church, by oath of loss of your life, if you reveal what goes on in the temple. Finally, the Bible sets forth a strict lineages, a lineage requirement for uh, the children of Israel and officiating in the temple, the Aaronic priesthood. And it teaches very explicitly that only men from the tribe of Levi and the family line of Aaron were qualified to serve as priests in the temple sanctuary. Listen to this. The Mormon church claims to have restored this Aaronic priesthood. It's now held by 12-year-old boys and completely ignores this plain scriptural requirement of lineage. And instead of allowing only one specific group to work in the temple, the LDS chose to keep one specific group out, black people, all the way up until 1978. Perhaps most important of all, the comparison between the LDS temples today and of Israel is how they view the life and death of Jesus. Even Bible-reading Christians know that the temple was made wholly obsolete by the death of Jesus Christ. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus predicted the Jerusalem temple was about to be destroyed, and he told his disciples, Verily I tell you, there shall not be left one stone upon another. At that time of Titus, all the genealogical records torched 
so the Jews couldn't see what their uh, lineage was to perform things in the temple anymore. God said, it is finished, it's done. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith now, no more need for these temple rites or priesthood. Jesus also said that temple worship was going to be replaced by something. Look at the scripture in John 4, 21 and 23. Ready? Jesus said, the hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain, talking about Moriah, I mean talking about the uh, Jew of the, the temple of this, uh, uh, starts with an S, the Samaritans, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. What Jesus was saying there is there's not going to be any more buildings made with hands to go in and do this worship. The Father seeks people to worship him directly, not in buildings. All of this was proven. And the temple worship was over when at the very moment Jesus expired, the veil of the temple, top to bottom, ripped apart by God, which kept people from going into the Holy of Holies. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that all believers now have access into the heavenly Holy of Holies by virtue of our high priest, singular, Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Listen to what Hebrews says. Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, talking about Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4. The rending of the veil we read about here in Matthew signified the end of the temple worship system. That system now obsolete. We no longer have human priests uh, or temples to mediate between holy God and unclean men and women. Under the new covenant established by Jesus Christ, he is every believer's high priest who now stands permanently, once and for all, making mediation between us and the Father. Joseph Smith ignored all of these facts, and he took that temple veil, and he tacked it back up, and he said to anybody who followed him, they have to comply to get through it in order to be right with God. If this isn't cultic behavior, I don't know what is. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you and seek you, need you, as we cover lots of material, Lord. We pray for those LDS callers who are watching, that they will come and they will discuss what is on their heart and mind. We pray for everything else that's going on tonight, Lord, for all the people who help, for the ministry, for your word, that we can do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off last week with Joseph Smith uh, getting the go-ahead from his dad to leave the field, to walk four miles, go to the hill Cumorah, where this angel Moroni had told him, you go there, there's some plates to be found. Tonight we're going to finish up with the other visits that Moroni gave to Joseph Smith before he received the golden plates. So Joseph gets to the hill. Let's talk about the fifth visit here. Uh, one year later, September 22nd, 1824. The Ensign article we mentioned last week said, quote, On the west side of the hill Moroni, near the top, Joseph located the large stone he was seeking. When he pried his stone lid away, he saw inside a box the sacred items spoken of by Moroni. Okay, I got a question. We don't have the plates. The angel took them back. Can you show us the box? The stone box. 
The angel didn't take the stone box. That was a receptacle here on earth. Can you show us the stone box? I'm sure it's still there. It lasted all those years until Joseph did. I mean, 150 years, 200 years, is it still? I'm sure it is. Show us the box, please. Okay. Um, the Ensign article continues. He tried three times to take the plates out of the box, but suffered progressively stronger shocks that deprived him of much of his natural strength until he exclaimed in frustration, why can I not obtain this book? End quote. Being shocked by unseen forces from the earth is a dimension of folklore magic practices common among those who be believed in them in Joseph Smith's day. But Joseph uh, got an answer from Angel Moroni according to what the Ensign article says. Quote, because, Moroni answered, because you have not kept the commandments of the Lord. For the fifth time within 24 hours, Moroni stood before him. Joseph was told to return to the uh, hill one year later, and Moroni would again to meet and teach him more. Now, why did it have to be exactly one year to the date later? I mean, does this sound like something God has, or is this a magic practice to get Joseph to go back on the autumnal equinox day again and have conversation with heavenly beings that would tell him where buried gold would be? Why does it have to be one year later? I don't know. Ask yourself that. Additionally, in folklore practices, people like the Smiths believe that buried treasures were protected by guardian spirits and that they had to do things to try to get those treasures. So the shocks and the disappearing plates and the repetitive visits are all a response to such drivel. So year after year, Joseph Smith goes back. He tells his family, I had a vision from an angel, came to my bedroom, told me about some plates. They expected him year in and year out to come back with the plates. He goes for four solid years, never getting, quote, the plates, okay? Uh, let me talk about verses 7 uh, through 9. Uh, this is what the Ensign article said in 1824. When Joseph went back to Camorra on 22nd of September, 1824, he once again dislodged the stone lid on the box containing the plates. While extracting the plates, he wondered if there might be anything else of material worth in the box. So he laid the plates on the ground to check. Finding nothing, he replaced the stone lid, concealed the evidence where the ground had been disturbed. When he reached back for the plates, they were gone. In great alarm, he knelt down and asked the Lord uh, why the record had been taken from him. This is his second visit to, Moron uh, to the hill. Moroni appeared now and reminded him that he had not done as he was commanded. Now, according to Joseph's mother, Joseph had been told in a former revelation, don't lay the plates down or put them a moment out of your hands until he gets to the house and deposits them in a Chester trunk with a good lock and key, brother. But contrary to this, he laid them down with a view of securing some fancied or imagined treasure, and, uh, and so he lost them. Now, I want to remind you, this was part of folklore magic. Don't set your treasures down because they will get sucked back into the earth by the spirits that guard them. And so uh, they would draw magic circles around their area, do a little incantation, take their, their gold that they're supposedly trying to get or their boxes of treasure, set them down and know that if the circle was drawn, the, the spirits couldn't remove them. All of this tied to Joseph Smith's early uh, days of magic practice. This article goes on. Moroni instructed Joseph to dislodge the stone cover, and there the prophet, reassured, saw the plates again. 
So Joseph set them down. They're gone. Why, O oh Lord? Because you haven't followed me. He goes back, and then they're back into the box, okay? When he recovered, he was alone. Uh, now, the Smiths all waited back at home for Joseph to return with the plates on his second visit. First time he said the angel came, the plates are there. He goes a year later to the date. The whole family's sitting there waiting. Oh boy, oh boy. And Joseph comes back and his mother reports that Joseph returned weeping for grief and disappointment. His expectations shattered. He was afraid his family would question his story. And uh, since all were expecting him to return with the plates. You know, think about this situation. Just bring some reason to it. If you have had a vision of God the Father and Jesus Christ, and you have had at least seven visits from a holy angel talking to you, and the angel says you don't get to bring the plates home, do you think your response would be like this? Or do you think you would conjure up a response like this to your family in order to keep them believing in you? Remember the movie, The Christmas Story? Remember Ralphie? He asked the whole time if he can have a BB gun, a BB gun. And the response is, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Well, on Christmas Day, Ralphie gets a BB gun. He goes outside, blam, bing, it hits him in the glasses. And the narrator says, he's got to do something. He's got to do something. Okay, I'll come up with some tears. <laughs> His mom comes out, what's wrong? This is all Joseph was doing. This was it. He knew he didn't have any plates to come back with. He knew his family was waiting there to have him show something, to, to be miraculously impressed. He had nothing yet. So tears, crying. But a pe person who has seen God would never be crying to his parents. Oh, the angel wouldn't let me have them. He'd be like, the angel said, no, get over it, you know. Okay. Uh, according to the Insign article, Joseph told his family of the incidents at Camorra. His family believed him. And Smith, Mother Smith wrote, We therefore doubled our diligence in prayer and supplication to God in order that he might be fully instructed in his duty. Each year at the same time, Joseph returned to the hill for further instruction. This is important. Listen to this. During this waiting time, during the four full years, Joseph had some time to develop storylines and plots that would be included in the Book of Mormon. Now remember, Joseph Smith had not the plates in his possession yet, yet his mother wrote in her biographical sketches this. During our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent, their dress, mode of traveling, and animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings, with every particular, their mode of war war warfare, and all so their religious worship. This he would do with as much ease seemingly as if he had spent his whole life with them. History of the church tells us that Joseph saw other celestial beings in addition to Moroni during this waiting period. In fact, Ivan J. Barrett, a religious professor from BYU, said, according to his research, that, quote, Joseph was visited by a host of people from the Book of Mormon while translating the plates, including Nephi, Alma, Mormon, the 12 disciples of Jesus had chosen during his visit to the Americas. Now, if I told you, J.K. Rowling, when she was uh, coming up with the Harry Potter series, was visited by all those characters. And they would tell her all about their things, and she would receive visions from that. What would you think? You know what you would think. Well, it's the same thing here with Joseph Smith. Finally, on the 10th visit, uh, Joseph claims the angel Moroni delivered him the plates. 
That is in September of 1827, four years later. Um, ask yourselves, what was Joseph Smith, possibly his father, who was once an English teacher, and a cooper, that means he worked in metal works, what were they doing during those full four years? What was Oliver Cowdery up to? How about Sidney Rigdon Martin Harris? We know Joseph Smith got married. We know he lost a brother to an unexpected death. But I would propose that during these years, Joseph Smith was creating at least an outline for the Book of Mormon, and he was in his father's Cooper shop, which they had a shop for working in metal, and he was constructing a mock set of plates to use when they would be ready. We also know, and this is vitally important, that Joseph Smith got arrested in 1826 for being a con man by the use of a peepstone for pretending to be able to find buried treasure. This was three years after he had said the angel told him of the buried gold, uh, Book of Mormon and one year before he claims to have received those golden plates from the earth. Uh, my friends, this is a total con. Now, additional visitations of Mormon were reported after Joseph said he received the plates. We're going to talk about these as they come up, but next uh, week, actually the week after next, we're going to go into the water and the actual translation process that Joseph uh, uh, did once he said he supposedly received these plates. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Will you announce that we are only taking first-time LDS callers? We are only taking first-time LDS callers tonight. We're going to go to James in North Salt Lake. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. Hey, I just seen a couple of your videos this week, and so I thought I'd call you up and see what's up. Uh, you had a lot of fun making the Mormons look like non-Christians. That's okay. I'm glad they have a problem with it. But, uh... I'm just wondering, how do you warrant yourself a Christian? How do I what? What is the earnest of your salvation? How do you warrant that you are indeed the Christian? Uh, the only warrant I have is the shed blood of Jesus Christ uh, on my behalf, and I have faith and trust in it. That's how I warrant my salvation. Because he, because he died, but how does that connect with you personally? I believe it. I believe that he, God in the flesh, remember, came, Emmanuel, God with us, came, suffered for my sins, died, was buried, was resurrected, and now stands as my high priest before the Father. Uh, and when I'm accused by the adversary of being evil, Jesus says, and I believe this, Sean's okay. He believes and has total faith in my shed blood. That's how I justify my salvation. That's it? That's it, baby. Okay, you're not Christian then. Okay, well, what do I else do I need to do? Well, you've you got to get baptized by the Spirit, by the Holy Ghost. Okay, are you, a, are you a Mormon or are you a Christian? I'm Christian. Okay, so you're a Christian calling the show, and now you're telling me that I need to embrace this, uh, this uh, thing of the baptism by the Holy Ghost. How is that manifested according to you? I would believe that by my faith in Jesus, I've been born again. You're saying something else needs to occur? I should have articulated. What is that? Well, it's the promise of the Father when Christ administered to the people, the Jews, after his resurrection. Yeah. For 40 days, he said he was seen of them. Yeah. And he said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but I know. wait for the promise of the Father. Right. 
you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So what is the sign you're telling me that I need to, uh, what, what else did you want me to say to prove that I'm a Christian to you, my Christian brother? In the, in the ancient days, Just tell me. circumcising your heart. Just tell me. Just tell me. I am telling you. Well, what did I miss? Not the ancient days. What did I miss? Well, it's the same gospel in the ancient days as it is Christ. Come on, tell me. Don't be a Mormon here. Tell me what I missed. Okay, you got to offer an acceptable sacrifice and have the Lord perform the circumcision of your heart where he gives you a new heart. Okay. You're saying, well, I accept it. I, I believe in him completely. And, and what does Romans 10 say? Did, uh... What does Romans 10 say? 10-5. No, oh, you me. know, quote it. I don't know it. You don't know it? It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. That's what it says. So I you put the whole... I don't know. I trust that. You trust that one little box of Scripture. You put God in that box and you turn the key and you say, you can't go out of that box, God. That's it. No, if you want to go out of that box, go ahead. But I trust that, I trust that passage. That one, that one passage, your whole salvation. Absolutely. What about everything else? What, what everything else? Please, I'm waiting. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, you've got to bring it all into harmony or you're a fool. Well, you tell me how I do that. Explain to me how I do that as a fallen man. How do I bring every word God has spoken into harmony into my life? Man, like, doesn't receive these things. You have to become the spiritual man. So you do. You follow every word of God that has ever fallen from his mouth? You can naturally go James, on your own merits, James, on your own gumption from being a natural James, man to a spiritual man just by saying, I want to be. James, I'm asking you a question. Do you follow every word that has fallen from God's mouth? You're trying to put me in a box. No, I'm trying to ask you if you do. You're telling me I need to do that. In a box. Do you do that? You're being on the offensive. No, I'm trying to ask you. You said I need to do that. I'm asking you. You're going you. with that? No, wait. I'm asking. You said. You, if you want to be in harmony with every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, or you just want to use that one little box for your there's, justification. There's, there's only one way for a human being to be in harmony with every word that falls from the mouth of God, uh, James, and that way is by faith on his son who was in harmony with every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. It is not by, by virtue of my faith on him who did it for me, not on my performance thereafter or before. What about being taught of God? We're all supposed to be taught of God. How does that happen? Well, you've got to receive revelation from God, so he has to sanctify you so you can receive that stuff. Doesn't he do that upon my belief on his son? Once he puts his name upon you. Okay, he does that. I didn't say I did it. I said, well, you're the one who said... You asked me what I needed to do. I said I need to believe. You said that's not enough. I tell you that it is. Christ told them they have to receive the promise of the Father. Who gives that promise? Function from on high. Who gives that promise? Well, just saying thank you, Jesus, doesn't give you that. Oh, really? No. So you're the, you're the one who stands there and decides who, what, and what, no, what it takes to one. get that delivered. Word of God decides that. No, I'm, at, I'm, I'm, look at, I'm telling you right now, I believe... In the, in the fact that Jesus did it for me, I believe in the facts about him that the Bible pertains, and then I follow him uh, according to that belief. What else do you want from me? God is the one who decides how he works with my heart. But, you asked me what, but James, you asked me what I needed to do. And I told you, as a Christian, this is what I need to do. I need to believe. What else do I need to do, James? Tell me. To receive back from Christ. It's a covenant. It's a two-way street. You go to him, he has to come back to you. If he doesn't come back to you, you didn't go to but him. But that's right? him coming to me, James. It's not something I do.
You asked me what I do to be a Christian, and I told you, I believe. You can come with him, and he has to say, yeah, that's acceptable. I'll come to you, and I'll baptize you with fire now. Make that, you a Christian. Put that's fine. That, but Otherwise, that's up to him to do, not up for me to do. That's up for him to do, not for me to do. You asked me what I need to do to be a Christian. See, James, I want to tell you something. I'm not willy-nilly saying anything. I trust the word of God. I trust Jesus as my savior. What do you want me to do, James? You want to put me in some box that now that I have been spiritually born again, I'm going to perfect myself in the flesh? I haven't been born again. You're still the natural man. Amazing. And are you a natural man? No. Well, I would have to say I think you are. You see, look, it's easy to say that, isn't it? I don't know what to tell you, James, my brother, who calls on the show when we're trying to reach Mormons with the simple truth that it's belief only. You call to convolute and you call to murk the waters up. Just between us, within the body, here on the show, within the body, you do this. Why don't you write me an email? Why don't you take me on through the email and do it quietly as a brother should? Take me aside if you have issue with me. Why do you wait, 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 wait. Why do you call a show when we're trying to reach Mormons with the good news of Jesus Christ and then you put us at odds with each other? We are at odds with each other because you are not a Christian. Okay, well, you're entitled to that belief. I believe if you believe in Jesus Christ and you confess him with your mouth and you follow him with your heart, that you are, James. Are you going to stand with the Father in your sins? What is the day come when you lose your sins? By Jesus Christ, I stand before the Father. And I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to have You have sin on you right now, my brother. How are you going to stand before the Father in the sins that you continue to commit? How? Well, I'm standing on my thought. Hang on. When do you think you're going to change? When are you going to be worthy to stand in the presence of God? I will never, as a man, be worthy to stand before the presence of God. Neither will you. When will the switch get thrown for you? When? Do you expect to actually be in the presence of God someday? It will never happen while I'm in the flesh. Never. the flesh. You still expect to be in his presence someday? I'm, I, I am still in a body of flesh. Sorry, man, you're preaching a false gospel. You with him in your sins with that same mind, that same sinner mind? You are, you are preaching a false gospel, James. I am a man in a body of flesh. As long as this flesh is alive, alive, I will have sin in me. It doesn't mean my spirit is sinful. It means my flesh is. And I will never go to the Father and appease him through my fleshly holiness, James. You've got it wrong. Okay, even though you lived in a filthy body. And had all these evil thoughts all your life. Well, so have you. No, no, I've been sanctified by the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, so you've overcome all sin? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty what well, we wait? You either have or you haven't. Pretty much doesn't work it's with God. Pretty much doesn't uh, work with God, James. You're a fool. All right, let's go to uh, Don, Salt Lake City. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, only asking for LDS callers first time is going to be a hard night for you, Sean. I don't mind. Okay. I so, hope you're LDS, and I hope you're a first-time caller, and I hope you spell your name D-A-W-N. Well, this is Alan, but I have a question for you. Um, why, why do you... Um, Our operator's been like, smoking. Okay, so like the Book of Mormon and Lamanites and Hebrews and so forth. What? Now, what's? The, I'm sorry, I was being funny. What's your question, Don, or Alex? Okay, so, you know, Lamanites, American Indians being Hebrews, why do you have such a problem with that? I like truth. You know, I just like truth as hard and ugly as it can be. I like it to sit in front of me and give me a chance to embrace truth. I don't like fairy tales. 
I don't like myths. I don't like to be lied to. Why do you why do you consider that a myth? What's what what would be the reason? Oh Lord, we're gonna get to all the view of the Hebrews. We're gonna look at all that evidence as we go through the the uh, Book of Mormon when we get to that point. So keep watching, Alan. But right now I can't spend the time to articulate because I don't have that knowledge. I can just tell you from history, from linguistics, from the fact that there's no uh, archaeological evidence, from the fact that the genetic evidence is a laugh, from the fact that the whole thing is a myth that I believe, sorry, the, the American Indians are not descendants from uh, uh, the Hebrews. Sorry. Well, what, now, what, what you said, genetic evidence, what do you mean by I'll that? I'll cover that when we get to that in the show. Is there something else you want to ask? We will cover that. Well, I just want to hear what, how would you just... I told you I can't do it off the cuff because I'm not going to be able to represent all the facts appropriately. I'm a researcher and a presenter. I'm not a scholar or great intellectual. I have to prepare. Well, let me ask you this. Is, is genetic or DNA evidence, is that a branch of chemistry? I would imagine so, yes. All right. So why would you use such a thing as chemistry, which is derived from alchemy, which is derived from the occult, to prove something wrong? Because when I get a sore throat and the doctor says, hey, this antibiotic will help you, and I take it, and it works, I believe that. You know, I don't think God has left us here to mull around and just believe in, in, in nothing. He gives us minds. And I believe that, that science and chemistry are viable products of God's wisdom that he gave to men. So you're saying, so what, what's your point here? Well, my point is that you think that, that Eve is 6,000 years old and, and science says 100,000. Okay. You're a few years off. I don't, I don't fall or die on timetables in the, in the scriptures and never have. So you don't, you don't believe the Bible to be the Word of God or, or exactly accurate? No, I believe the Bible to be the Word of God and accurate. Well, I don't believe our interpretations are always correct. Yeah, well, that's true. So, All right. so, so what are you trying to do? Paint me in a correct. corner here because you think you're going to be able to work it with words, buddy. The Book of Mormon compared to the Bible in terms of matter and weight and evidence is a joke. So don't come on here and let's play this word game and rattling our swords to see who's smarter. It's a joke. Don't come and do the game so that you can think you're making an argument to support it. Or don't try to demean the Bible because the Book of Mormon can't be proven. That's just not the same. You're comparing apples and anchors. Why use the occult to, to prove it wrong? Oh, God. Do you want... The, the occult doesn't prove it wrong. It's one feather in the hat of the giant plume hat that Joseph wore around when he was elected king of the earth. Have you ever watched the movie DNA in the Book of Mormon? I have seen that, yeah. Okay, so why would you use chemistry, which is a branch You're of... back to the same question. I just talked about it. I just talked about it, Alan. Come on, give me something new here, Alan. Come on. Why, why would you use the occult to prove something wrong? I just when, told when you, you, I didn't use the occult. I did not. A follower of, of Christ I, I, wait, now, now you're saying I'm supposedly a follower of Christ and I shouldn't use the occult and practices of the occult in showing that Joseph Smith was all about hunting for gold with a peepstone in the occult practices with his father, and that has no bearing or weight upon the fact that he translated a, a, a plates of gold from the earth by that same peepstone. You're saying I have no right to bring that history up. Well, let me ask you this. No, no, no. Answer the question, Alan. 
Well, you can bring it up. I'm yeah, I can't because right? it makes sense, that's doesn't it? Alan, 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 it makes sense, doesn't truth. it? That we examine the occultic practices of Joseph Smith and we see if he used those throughout his religious practices, which he did. Does it make sense, Alan? What you're doing right now, you're using occult practices the same way. All right, how am I doing that? Okay, let me ask you this. What, when you, chemistry? Joseph, Is chemistry an occult practice? Well, it's derived from the occult. Oh, gosh, dude. It, it, you know what? Think about it. Okay, so let me I don't, ask you You know what? Here's the point. Alan, 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 here's the Wrong. point. Alan, here's the bottom line point. We do all of this to put feathers in the hat. But bottom line, Alan, let me just say this, and I'll let you have the final word, okay? Here's, the, here's just what I want to say. The bottom line is this. Jesus said, it's him, the way, truth, and life, nothing else. This is the only point we truly fight for against the Mormons. It's the only point. Everything else is to show the whole thing's a con. But the bottom line point is I don't care about the history in this sense. I don't care what all this other stuff. I care that Mormons are born again and that they understand that Jesus is the only requirement for salvation. Okay? Go ahead. Last word from Alan. Well, I, I would think that most Mormons would agree with that. So, I that was why you would. so what about the temple rites? And what about eternal marriage and baptism, paying your tithing, obeying the Sabbath day? How is all that Jesus is the only way? Well, it, it's the same thing. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. Things, so should we wear... things are part of him. I, I mean, see. Not... Alan, you're failing now. We're done. Okay, uh, let's go to Jim, uh, Jen Hansen in Salt Lake City. Jen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi, Sean. Uh... I'm good friends with Andrea Carroll. You remember her emails? I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, I've read the Book of Mormon several times, and basically, it doesn't tell me not to believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything negative about him. All it does is testify that he's the Son of God, that he's re the Redeemer of the world, that he's divine, and that only through him are our sins forgiven. It tells us, it, it testifies to us that the Bible is the Word of God, written by the Jews. Okay, but yeah, okay, you got to stop. I don't understand Jim. why you're so, I, I don't understand the negativity over it. Okay, here's the negativity, Jim. If you went with us back, you're right about the Book of Mormon in most cases. There's about five or seven doctrinal issues that are far afield from the Bible. But let's just say they're not. Let's just say the Book of Mormon is a good Christian book like you're saying it is here to the audience. Okay? The problem is, is it's an introductory drug. And the missionaries used the Book of Mormon because Joseph Smith was raised in a Christian environment. He went to Christian revivals. He knew the Bible. And he wrote a book that was patterned right after it. Okay? And so Joseph Smith has this model in his head, and he decides that he's going to present this new book, and he writes it over a course of a seven-year period, six-year period of time. So, okay, let's say it's innocuous, okay? But then when people read that book and they say, well, it's innocuous, I'll join the Mormon church because that's what the missionaries use. They don't use the Doctrine and Covenants. They don't use the Pearl of Great Price, and they don't use the temple rituals or any of the legalisms, they use the Book of Mormon. Introductory drug, first toke. Pretty soon you join the church. 
And now you start to find out, well, I got to start to do this. I better do that. And, you know, you got to get you ready to receive the priesthood now. And we got to get you ready to receive all these other things. And pretty soon you're starting to snort a little bit of, of crack. And pretty soon you're mainstreaming meth. And pretty soon you're shooting heroin in your eyeballs. And you are trapped into a religion that is the biggest con on earth. This is the problem with the Book of Mormon, Jen is that it is an introductory drug to a church that okay, traps okay, I people. Know. Uh, so according to what you're saying, all these Mormons are shooting heroin? Yes. They are shooting theological heroin. And it keeps them addicted to the idea that they have to earn their salvation. That is no, a drug no, no, more no, powerful. No, they don't have to earn their salvation. I, I think there's just a little bit of misunderstanding. Oh, that. really? I was a Mormon 40 years, and I'm misunderstanding. 40 years I'm in it. I'm a high priest. No, I'm, I'm a seminary teacher. I'm in a bishopric. I'm in a stake high council. 40 years I'm in it. I serve it with my family. I go to the temple and I misunderstand it. You're wrong. I'm sorry for the emphasis, but you're wrong. The thing is a, it is a lie. It traps people and does not give them the liberty in Christ. Bottom line. Hey, Sean, can we discuss this without... No, because look at I don't care about discussion with Mormons. you got to understand that. I've been a Mormon. I know what you teach. So when you come and you try to discuss in a, in a kind and friendly way, all it does is benefit you well, and you the little me, things you want to say. Like you? That... I don't care about dialogue with Mormons. I care about giving truth. You got to understand. You can say, well, it's unfair. You can say, you're not giving me an equal time. I don't give a sh shiitake mushroom. I don't care. What I care about is teaching the truth, having been Mormon. Jen, if you believe it, you're in a, you're in a trap. First, you are in a religious uh, trap. We all, we all know that salvation is free. Don't say that if you're LDS. It's not free. You're using salvation oh, no, in the wrong way, Jen. That's simply not true. Tell me what it means. Salvation wait, 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 wait. I'll stop. I'll stop. Tell me, tell me what it means. Oh, the salvation's free. How? Know that it's only by the grace of God that we are saved. Saved, and what does that mean? Working towards. Wait, wait, wait. What does that mean, Jim? Saved. Towards. No, Sean, I can't say two words. I'm trying to get you to tell me what saved means, Jim. Saved? Mm -hmm. Saved means to be out of the grip of all your enemies. That's what it means. Does it mean to be living with God the Father after this life? It means to be out of the grip of all your enemies. Does it mean to be living with God the Father after this life? That's why Jesus came to save us. To save us from certain deaths, spiritual and physical. Does saved mean to be with God the Father when you die? Okay, I just gave you the definition of salvation. So, so you I'm won't answer my question yes or no? What, what was your question? I'll answer. Is saved mean you, when you die, you go and live with God the Father after this life? That would be true. Okay, you just said that Mormons believe that to live with God the Father after this life, it's a free gift and merits nothing. That's what you said. That's right. Okay, so let me ask you something. Why? Let me ask you a question. Why do you have to go to the temple and receive the new and everlasting covenant? Why, by your doctrine, do you have to be married for time and all eternity to live with Heavenly Father again? All that they do in their temple ceremonies, in their works, and all that they're doing, they're, they're trying to reach their, their, their exaltation. They're saved. Wait, what's exaltation? I thought you said you live with God, the Father, after this life by virtue of grace and grace alone. So what is this working towards exaltation bit? That's what the Mormons do. They work towards exaltation. So guess what? 
salvation is free. Salvation is free through the blood and atonement of Christ. Okay. We know that. And, and salvation... See, but you see, the Mormons believe that there are different degrees of salvation. That's why they do Oh, different degrees. I get it. Yeah. So where's that in the scriptures, Jen? About different degrees of salvation. Okay, well, uh, let's see. In my First father's Corinthians house 15? are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Does that have to do with salvation? We're in the Father's house. There's many mansions within the house. What are you talking about? It has nothing to do with salvation. Well, what does it mean then? Tell me what that means. It, salvation means uh, absent from the body, present with the well, Lord. There's also many mansions. Absent, I, 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 absent I from the body. Ab look at what you're doing. I got to tell ya, you, what you're arguing is not hey, fact. Let's, let's argue this one. When, when no, 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 no. Let's stay on this. Him, when the Pharisees came and tempted him, he said to them that you will receive the greater damnation. That's because hell has many levels. Sean? Hell has many levels. Let's stay on this topic. There are levels. There are levels. Hell there. has many levels. Let's stay on this topic, Jim. You tell me. Right. You, you have said a mistruth. You have said a lie. You have said Mormons believe that salvation, interpreted as living with God the Father after this life, is a free gift hey, of grace. Hey, and me, that, my friend, no, 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 no. That is a categorical lie. It's a lie. You called on the show and you told a lie. Why? Because you are mincing words. There's no mincing words with me. You believe in Jesus, you're saved. Okay? You believe, hey, you confess with your mouth, saved. Everybody Salvation. Knows that, you everybody have twisted knows it. That. What? You're not teaching anything new there. Well, I am because you are saying that saved means the same thing in Mormonism. Saved, well, you, the body. That's not true. Salvation. What? I told you there are degrees of salvation. Well, okay, so now we're going to say there's degrees of salvation. What's the lowest degree of salvation? The lowest degree of salvation, as you well know, having been Mormon, would be to be in the terrestrial world. Does that take faith in believing in Christ? Most people who end up in that kingdom, does, obviously, does, and you should know this. Does that take believing in Christ? Are those who did not have the sufficient faith in Christ. Okay, so... You have a degree of salvation, and you don't believe in Christ at all, and you get a level of heaven? Is that what you're saying? Did you just have a... Did, I, just answer my question. Is that what you're saying? Okay, okay give me the question again. Can you, go uh, to the I, low, I, can you go to the lowest level of salvation, not believing in Jesus? Yes, you can. Okay, thank you. That's all I needed to hear from you, you idiot. All right. All right. Oh my gosh, it's like pulling teeth. The idiot part, I say, is a term in endearment. Listen, it takes a, 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 a willingness to sort through this stuff. It's just like a surgeon. He, he opens you up. He's not going to say, oh gosh, this is too invasive. This is too painful. This is going to make them lose their leg. Oh my goodness, they're going to lose a lung. They don't say that. They say, cut it out. We're going to cut this stuff out because this is what they need. This guy, he thought, just like some of the others, I'm going to twist and turn and twist and turn. But bottom line, salvation comes, my friends. Jesus Christ is the only way. Go to him. Ask him to open your eyes to the truth. He will do it, I promise you. You don't need me or a religion. Go to him directly. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.